Pauline, give me some of your tots. I ate his liver with some fava beans. Nice candy. Combo, pan fry, deep fry, stir fry. Yummy! Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Cooking Show. I am your host, Bob, and I realized that it's been a while since I've explained like the format and all that kind of stuff, and I've gotten some new listeners since I've started posting on Twitter, and you know, you get new people coming in all the time from the imager posts and whatever, so I just wanted to run down like what the whole point of this is. This is a weekly podcast that focuses on the preparation of you know, a, a meal, a particular recipe or whatever. And the, the podcast itself is like an audio walkthrough of the cooking process. The reason that I think that that could be useful is that if you are going to make a recipe that is new to you, uh, like later in the week after you've listened to this, when you do, you'll have some familiarity with it because you've heard me talk through it. Um, I can point out some caveats like, hey, at this point, it's really important for you to do X, Y, and Z, or this other thing, hey, this sounds more complicated than it is, really just mix it up and let it sit there, you're good to go, whatever. It's kind of like, I was thinking back, like whenever you were a kid and your friend goes and sees the summer blockbuster the week before you do, and then he tells you, like blow by blow, minute by minute, what happens in the movie. And as kids, like that wasn't a spoiler. That was like exciting because that was like you got to experience the movie secondhand. And whenever you went to see it, you knew what to expect or you could anticipate the twists and turns and the narrative journey that you'd be going on or whatever. I don't know. Kids are dumb. Uh, but I was a dumb kid and I enjoyed that. So that's basically the part or the point of the audio portion of the podcast is to give you familiarity, to walk you through it, to point out some pitfalls or whatever. Now in the show notes, like whatever podcast player you are using, you know, if you're using Overcast, you just sort of like swipe to the right and you'll see the show notes. Or if you hit the info button or a link or something like that, I don't know what you're using. It'll bring up the show notes, which are, is just a text format. It's just additional information and appendix or whatever. And in the show notes, I will have a link to the imager album, which is a photographic step-by-step. -step. So this again, to help you out so that you know at this step in the recipe, what should things look like? Like, what am I trying to make this do? You know, a picture's worth a thousand words. And uh, this way you get pictures and you get the thousands of words. So it's like a podcast is worth 2,000 words. I don't know. <laughs> it was stupid. But uh, so you, you'll have a link to the Imager album. Uh, if there is a weird ingredient that maybe not everybody would have in their pantry, maybe not everybody would be able to find in their local grocery store, you know, if it's something esoteric or whatever, I'll put a link to, you know, maybe uh, an Amazon listing for it or if it comes from somewhere other than Amazon, I'll put a link to that. Similarly, if there's a piece of equipment that you need uh, or that would help or would make it easier, I'll put a link to that too. You know, if it's like, hey, you really got to think about getting this particular citrus sister or this machine or this tool or this, that, or the other thing, I'll throw a link in there. It's usually not necessary. Hey, kitty cat. But I will 
include that if one is pertinent, is relevant to the episode. And then finally, in the show notes, I'll have just the plain text recipe for everything that you need to prepare. Okay. So the, the podcast is like that mommy blog phenomenon where I might go off on a tangent about, you know, when I was a, when I was a young girl growing up in the foothills of the Alpine mountains, my grandmother used to make this pastry for me on my birthday, you know, all that kind of meandering stuff. But in the show notes, when you just want like how much salt, how much pepper, how much lemon juice, how much chicken, yada, 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 bada boom, bada bang, you can get that easy breezy, beautiful cover girl. All right. So on to this week's episode. Oh, oh wait, actually, before we do that, I have started posting these on Twitter. Like I, in addition to doing the imager album, which is like photo caption, photo caption, yada, yada, yada. Uh, last week I did the first one of these as a Twitter thread where each photograph in the cooking process is a tweet and they're all linked together in a thread and I have words on each one, whatever. Uh, if you want to follow me at Bob Von Sayo, and I know that's weird. I'm not going to spell it. Look in the show notes. I'll put a, my Twitter handle in the show notes. It's at Bob Von Sayo. And uh, I'm really enjoying Twitter. I've, I've had an account for since like 2008, 2009, something like that. And I just never really got into it that much. And uh, recently I've tried and it's, uh, it's delightful. I love it. All right. So now, now we'll get into this week's recipe. And I got to tell you, like, give you a little bit of an origin story for this one. One of my favorite podcast series of all time. I got my little three, three-legged cat in the studio here with me, and she's being very lovey. So if you hear some little noises, it's her rubbing her head against the pop filter or the microphone or whatever. And I could throw her out and close the door, but I'm not going to because I don't want to. So one of my favorite podcast series uh, ever of all time is Dan Carlin's Wrath of the Cons, which is part of his Hardcore History podcast. And, and this is one of those things like, so Hardcore History is fantastic. All the different series are, are wonderful, but only some of them, only some episodes are available in like the regular RSS feed for hardcore history at any given time. And then they, they kind of cycle out and they go behind a paywall where it's like, it's like a dollar an episode or it's like 25 bucks for the whole archive or whatever. Uh, a couple of years ago, I downloaded the whole, I paid Dan Carlin $25 or $30 or whatever it was and downloaded the whole archive. So you get, you know, the Celtic Holocaust, Ghosts of the Ost Front, Death Throes of the Republic, Wrath of the Cons, like all these great podcast series. But Wrath of the Cons is about the, the rise of the Mongol Empire in the 13th century under the initial leadership of Genghis Khan and then his uh, son Ogadai and then his grandson Kublai Khan, yada, yada, yada. It is a fantastic history podcast. I listen to it every spring to get me in the mood for archery, like I'm into archery, uh, uh, traditional bare bow recurve archery. I do it as like a meditative thing at the end of the day and listening to the description of Mongol horse archers and just the incredible feats of strength and agility and 
accuracy and whatever, it really gets the gets the blood flowing, gets me motivated to get out there and start sending arrows, arrows into foam as it is. So I am just wrapping up this year's re-listen of the podcast. And when I was thinking like, what am I going to make for, for my podcast this, this week? And I was reading through a new cookbook that I got called Half-Baked Harvest by Tegan Gerard. It is a beautiful book. This is the first recipe I made from that book. Uh, the photographs are wonderful. The recipes seem pretty simple and straightforward and high quality, like focusing on ingredients and process and mechanics and all that kind of stuff. So I was reading through this book and I came across <gasps> Mongolian beef. And I was like, how apropos of what I'm, I'm, I'm listening to right now, what I'm looking forward to, you know, when I'm mowing the lawn, I was put on Dan Carlin, listen to Wrath of the Cons, part three, part four, part five. I mean, this, this podcast series is like 18 hours long. So it's a, it's a real, it's a real enjoyable journey. Anyway, so, so I was like, oh, this is serendipitous. Uh, Mongolian beef. I'm listening to the Mongol history, Mongol empire, whatever. Uh, let's make that. And guess what? Uh, it was fantastic. I do have to tell you that I am under no delusions that this is authentic <laughs> Mongolian food. It is not. This is westernized, sanitized, salty, sugary beef and rice that has been slapped with an exotic name and sold from takeout restaurants in strip malls all across America. Uh, this bears no relationship or resemblance whatsoever to the diet of the medieval Mongols, the Genghis Khan, uh, Ogadai, Batu, Jebe, like any of these people, certainly not. And I would bet that it bears very little r relevance to contemporary Mongolian cuisine. You know, if you go to Ulaanbaatar, and go to some diner downtown. I don't know. I assume there's diners downtown. Uh, I don't know that you'll get Mongolian beef. And if you do, I don't think it'll be made like this. However, however, boy, is it delicious. It's, it's a fantastic transformation of ingredients. It is a wonderful blending of flavors. You have savory, you have salty, you have sweet, you get a little bit of spice and it's just, it's, it's simple. It's impressive. And it's delicious. And the fact that you can mimic, you can recreate, you can emulate the flavors and textures that usually are reserved for the professionals, the professional Chinese takeout food. You know, and that's funny too. It's like when, when all, all these East Asian cuisines sort of get lumped together as Chinese food, which <laughs> is like Mongolian beef. It's like, eh, well, you know, you go far enough back, it'd be relevant, but not so much. Okay. Anyway, the fact is, though, that this is really good and nobody's nobody's deluding them. So, oh, I'm eating what like uh, Genghis Khan would have eaten. No, I mean, in the podcast that I'm listening to, Carlin details the the, the very savage and rough lifestyles of these step people in a step s-t-e-p-p-e -P -P -E, like the great plains of of the eurasian continent and how they would eat the entrails of animals and and field mice and uh, greasy meats cooked over pine tar fires and stuff like that it is uh definitely a hard scrabble existence and the fact that i'm making coconut rice with this is ridiculous because mongolia is a landlocked country 
and it's uh, you know dominated by the Gobi Desert, and the rest of it is like the Great Plains where it can snow in July and it can be you know oppressively hot and dry and then windy and cold and all this. How many how many coconut palms do you think are growing there? I'm gonna say between zero and zero, you know. But regardless, let's get into the recipe. Mongolian beef, highly recommended. All right, so for this, let's you know, we're gonna start off with the rice because if you have a rice cooker, it's it's great. It's easy breezy. You get it, you get the rice started, and you know, rice cookers, they they cook the rice and then they switch automatically to the keep warm setting and it keeps the rice warm and, and, and it stays hydrated because it's all lidded up and everything. So you can get the rice started and then you just go about making the rest of the food and you don't have to worry about the rice being undercooked, overcooked, oversaturated, soggy, whatever. The rice is just done and ready for you at the end. What we're going to be using is, depending on how many people you're you're making this for, but a, a cup of rice. Now this can be ideally jasmine rice or basmati rice, something like that. One can of full fat coconut milk. And I, I did have the the thought after I had already assembled all the ingredients that I should have just used like, you know, a real coconut or two or three or whatever. But, you know, a can of coconut milk is is fine. Full fat, definitely. You want you want sort of the creamy texture and the creamy uh, coconut fat flavor into the rice because that's going to be really good. Uh, we're going to use a little bit of salt. Uh, some rice vinegar, and some honey. And what you're going to do is you're going to add your rice to the rice cooker, add the the, the can of coconut milk to the rice, add an, an extra half cup of water. Like the coconut milk and the water in the milk and all that kind of stuff is not going to be quite enough liquid to get the rice to where you want it to be. So you need to sort of fortify it with a half cup of water. Get that in your rice cooker, push your little button down, and then we will do like one more step at the end with the rice vinegar and the honey and the salt, but you don't have to worry about that now. Now, as far as a rice cooker, look, if you have one, great. If you don't have one, they're cheap. They're really effective. Uh, you know, you can get one at Walmart, you can get one at Target. Anywhere you can buy a blender, you can get a rice cooker. I will put a link in the show notes to a rice cooker. Uh, if you just want to buy it through your podcast consumption, <laughs> I'm trying to make it as easy as possible, right? So that's your rice. That's going to take, I don't know, it doesn't even matter how long. It's going to take less time than it does uh, to make the rest of the dish. So it will be ready for you when you're done with everything else. Okay. Now for your Mongolian beef, you can use flank steak, you can use skirt steak, you can use some cheap, you know, top round, bottom round, something flat that you can slice into strips or whatever. However, uh, you can also use strip steak, which is what I used. I used three New York strips. Uh, you could use four, you could use two, you could do one, whatever. But basically you need enough so that you have a sufficient amount of beef for each person who will be dining on this a flavorful delight at the end of this process. So I use three strip steaks sliced at an angle against the grain into strips roughly mm, a quarter of an inch thick, okay? We want like long strips of you know wonderful flavorful beef now before we get into the rest of this process if you would like to 
go above and beyond and really recreate the textural component of authentic Midwestern takeaway Chinese food, you may want to velvet your beef, velvet as a verb. And what velveting is, is basically uh, mar dry marinating and tenderizing meat, a lot of times chicken, chicken breast, chicken thigh, beef, whatever. But you can do it with some baking soda. Sometimes they use cornstarch. Sometimes they use egg whites and white wine and get really fancy with it. You can totally do it with just baking soda. Uh, one teaspoon of baking so soda sprinkled over your beef and then toss the beef with your hands so that it's fully incorporated and everything like that. And let that sit for about 30 minutes. Now, if you look it up online, like how do I velvet beef? I forget. I just heard it on the podcast, but I'm going to Google it. If you look it up, uh, you'll see most of the recipes will tell you to then wash the beef afterward, to rinse it heavily. If you're only adding a teaspoon of baking soda to the beef to begin with, and you're tossing it so that it's kind of like coating it and disappearing into the, into the beef that you are preparing, that you're velveting, there won't be anything to wash away later. After 30 minutes, the osmosis of the beef, like the, the excretion of liquid and the reabsorption of liquid, the dilution of the baking soda, the pulling it into the fibers and the protein of the meat, that is going to make all of the baking soda disappear. And if you then wash the meat and rinse the meat, and even if you drain the meat and pat it dry, you're kind of introducing water and diluting flavor for no real practical benefit because uh, you're going to coat this with uh, a thickening agent and uh, sort of not a breading, but um, something that's going to add a textural component to the exterior of it anyway. And the presence of a very small amount of baking soda is not going to ruin your life in that, in that regard. So if you, if you go and look up how to velvet protein, for the most part, you can skip the washing the meat portion, okay? So you get your, your meat sliced, you get it coated with your baking soda, let it rest for 30 minutes. You can use that 30 minutes to, to prepare a lot of this other stuff. What we're going to do is trim off the florets of a couple stalks of broccoli. If you don't want to use stocky, stout, stubby broccoli, and you have a fancy grocery store that has broccolini, use the broccolini. Broccolini would be much better. It would be more elegant. It'll be more wispy and long. But if you can't you know, readily get broccolini at your, your local shop and save or whatever. Broccoli's good to go. Cut the florets off, put them on a baking sheet, drizzle them with a little bit of uh, avocado oil, preferably. We're gonna, we want to use a neutral oil in all these things. We're not going to be using sesame oil because we don't want that flavor added to the beef. We're not going to use olive oil. Same reason. I used avocado oil for everything. It's wonderful. Uh, drizzle your broccoli with avocado oil, hit it with a little bit of salt, like a, like a thick pinch, sprinkle that over there into a 400 degree Fahrenheit oven for roughly 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. After 20 minutes, you take a look at it. If it's starting to singe up a little bit on the little, on the little flower buds, at that point, you can turn the oven temperature off and let it rest. 
broccoli, whatever it cooks in there, it'll kind of go through these stages where it'll first turn bright green as all the cell walls start to rupture as the broccoli heats up. And then as the moisture escapes from those ruptured cell walls, it'll start to take on a more drab, like olive drab green color and uh, get a little crispy around the edges. That's the point that we want it to be done. So you can just turn the heat off, but leave it in there. It's not going to burn. It'll just stay nice and hot and roasty toasty until you need it at the end. Okay, so that's prepare your broccoli that way. We also want to take four cloves of garlic, more or less. I'm actually using our jarred garlic, our chopped garlic, preserved in olive oil, kept in a jar in the refrigerator. Used roughly a tablespoon of that. But you, if you're using fresh garlic, four cloves, finely chopped, and then scooted off onto the side of the cutting board. You want one piece of fresh ginger, um, roughly like a square inch, maybe a little more because you're gonna peel this and finely grate it and then move that aside on the cutting board as well. We're gonna use a cup of, I don't know, I, I probably said three or four in one of the captions or in the recipe or whatever, three or four green onions or scallions. And what you wanna do with that is slice the heads of the scallions, the white part into tiny little medallions, very thin, and then Cut a section of the green part of the onion, roughly three, yeah, three inches long, and then slice that lengthwise. It makes these wonderful little wispy sticks of onion greens, and that makes a really pretty garnish. Like you're garnishing it with the the sliced scallion heads, the sliced scallion greens. We're also gonna garnish it with a little bit of sesame seeds, and it's gonna be fun. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be pretty. And it's like, man, three garnishes. How fancy is that? All right. We need about a tablespoon of crushed red pepper flakes. You know, your traditional uh, Italian restaurant table fare. A half cup of soy sauce. I used um, uh, coconut aminos because I'm a fancy boy. Three tablespoons of honey. And uh, the aforementioned uh, sesame seeds. A tablespoon of sesame seeds will be a-okay. All right, so at this point, oh, I, I left out a real important part because we're going to come back to it. Uh, or we are we are now coming back to the point where I needed it, so I should have mentioned it earlier. Three tablespoons of arrowroot powder. That's just being fancy and trying to avoid using cornstarch. You can totally use cornstarch, three tablespoons, but if not, you can use arrowroot powder. I will put a link to arrowroot powder in the show notes, but I got it from my local... Uh, podunk grocery store, uh, fancy flower aisle. Well, it's not a fancy, it's the flower aisle. And there are some fancy flowers and fancy powders and fancy sugars. <laughs> it's what? It, it, it's like a, a six foot section of the shelf, but arrowroot powder uh, is wonderful. Okay. So what we're going to do, three tablespoons of that arrowroot powder, we're going to mix that in to our uh, velveted beef to coat it so that it's just nice and dusty, okay? In a big pan, like a saute pan, heat up three or four tablespoons, a good glug, 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 glug of avocado oil in the bottom of the pan. We're not deep frying, so you don't have to like, you know, put three inches of oil in the pan, um, but you do want the bottom of the pan to be coated and you want to get that that oil hot because... This stuff is going to stick to the pan. You know, it's, you're, you've got this this dusting of arrowroot powder, and the meat is going to 
um, adhere to the pan initially, and then as the Maillard reaction comes to fruition and you get a nice sear and a nice crust on the meat and you're pushing it around with a wooden spoon the whole time and then eventually by the end of this you'll be able to toss it a little bit like stir fry if you want to do it in a wok knock yourself out but i like using my giant saute pan for everything um, without having to uh, have a place to put a wok uh, now that i say that i'll probably find a nice place to put a wok and i'll get a real nice real nice heavy carbon steel wok but that day is not today all right so that goes uh so your beef is going in and you're cooking it it's not going to take super long wow look we're making we're making takeout chinese food here okay so it this isn't a thing where it's like oh we want it to be perfectly you know sous vide medium rare no 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 considering that i'm using uh strip steaks when i could just as easily be using flank steak or you know some random piece hacked off of the round of of the beef uh that i mean i'm already churching it up a little bit here we're gonna cook this until we get the appropriate amount of crust and color on the exterior of the beef which means that chances are the beef is going to be medium well at best probably well done but it's okay because we're going to be drenching this in a sugary salty sauce and nobody cares <laughs> all right so you get that avocado oil going you get your beef going once you get to a point where you're like all right that looks pretty good that looks nice and crusty and delicious kill the heat spoon the beef out onto a platter to hold it aside because we're going to use the fond the brown bits stuck to the bottom of the pan the remnants of the oil the remnants of the juices from the beef all this stuff is going to be incorporated into the sauce and we got to get that beef out of there so that we can make a sauce okay so once it's out of there dump in your half cup of soy sauce add your crushed red pepper flakes add the chopped garlic that you prepared earlier the grated ginger add the two tablespoons of honey you know and with your wooden spoon kind of mix that around restore restore the heat to medium to medium high what we want to do is we want to get a gentle simmer going here as we stir all this stuff together, as we try to scrape little bits of fond off the bottom of the pan, and as we want to sort of incorporate these disparate ingredients, uh, you know, your solids like your 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 garlic and your ginger, the wets of <laughs> of the soy sauce and the honey, and we want this to all sort of melt together and coat the bottom of the pan and just start to thicken up a little bit. You don't want too much heat because, listen, a half cup of soy sauce is not that much. It's not like you're trying to reduce three gallons of, of chicken stock down to a, a chicken consomme or something like that. You basically just want this to all kind of come together and start to thicken up a little bit. And once it does, you can turn that heat down to like medium low, maybe straight medium, just like whatever is below the simmering point, okay? And at that point, you add your beef back into the sauce. Now, given the fact that we're basically just using soy sauce and honey, you would think, how is this going to thicken up? How is this going to get to this that nice, glassy, syrupy, Chinese fast food 
sauce consistency that you would expect. Ah, there's lots of arrowroot residue on the beef. Adding the beef back in is going to transform the sauce once we've tossed it all together and brought it back up to a simmer. Um, at that point, you're gonna you're gonna cook off some of that crust of the beef, and it is gonna it's going to uh, disperse itself throughout the liquid of the sauce, and it's going to uh, really thicken that up beautifully. It's and it's it's gonna be a deep red brown color, uh, and just sticky and delicious. At this point, you have your beef completely tossed and everything. You've turned the heat up, probably back up to medium medium high to get it up to a, like a little bit of a simmer because you want to you want to really incorporate all this. You want to drive the flavor of that sauce into the fibers of the muscle of the of, of the of the meat. And then you pull your your hot broccoli out of the oven and toss it into the beef and uh, add a little bit, just a portion of your sliced scallion heads. Add those in. Add a pinch of your sesame seeds, add a pinch of the red pepper flakes, and then very gently kind of fold it all together. Stir it and fold it so that the broccoli gets coated with the sauce, so the beef is coated with the sauce, the sauce is thickening up, everything looks wonderful. All right, kill the heat, let it sit there. It'll thicken further as it cools down, as the molecules of the sauce kind of de-energize and they're not vibrating with the frequency of a hot simmering liquid and they will slow down they will tighten up and it'll be fantastic patience is a virtue and waiting for you know meat to rest and sauces to set and all this other kind of stuff so we're going to go over to our rice cooker in a little tiny mixing bowl we're going to mix a remaining tablespoon of honey and the uh, tablespoon of rice wine vinegar and just with a fork whisk that together real nice so that you have sort of a a thin golden liquid and uh you're going to drizzle that over the rice add a you know a pinch teaspoon a, somewhere between a pinch and a teaspoon <laughs> of salt and fluff that together with a fork to incorporate the sweetened vinegar the salt and everything with the rice the rice should kind of have a little bit of a creamy residual texture from the coconut milk and it'll be wonderful it'll have a great mouth feel and everything like that plate your rice gently spoon your beef and broccoli on top of the rice garnish it uh generously with the sliced scallion heads with the sliced scallion greens with the uh toasted sesame seeds with some red pepper flakes all that kind of stuff bada boom bada bing you're ready to go you're good to go it is delicious it is fantastic and it will be remarkably similar to the, the finest of strip mall fast food, Chinese takeaway, Mongolian beef dishes. I think you're going to love it. I think this will become a staple in your home as I believe it will become a staple in mine. So that's it. Mongolian beef as a tribute to Dan Carlin's hardcore history series, Wrath of the Khan. Oh boy. Okay. Hey, listen, um, it probably actually took almost... Actually, almost exactly as long as this podcast episode for, is how long it should take to make this dish. 30 minutes, more or less. You might have a little bit of prep time, but you know, 30 minutes of cook time, you're good to go. All right. Hey, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week.